you can uh, pull out your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 10 through 14 this morning. Yes, it's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with y'all on the web. Um, I'm of the generation that acquired a cell phone in my teenage years. Like, I think I was 16 when I got my first cell phone. And I don't know if it was because I was in that generation or not, or it was just one of my weird quirks, but... I I used to take people's phones and look through their texts. Yeah. <laughs> I've long learned the lesson that that is not a good thing to do. Um, probably 15 years ago I learned that lesson. Maybe a couple of years after I started doing that. Um, but I did that. And if I were to take someone's phone and look through their texts just for fun... Uh, the letter of Paul to the Galatians would be something I would want to come across. It's intense. It's kind of like looking through someone's texts. It's personal. It's impassioned. There's anger. There's just conviction. It's, if it didn't have to do with us, it would almost be embarrassing to tune into but it does have to do with us because we are non-Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And so we get to benefit from this intensely personal and impassioned plea from the Apostle Paul to this group of churches in the region of ancient Galatia or modern-day Turkey. And so we've been making our way through this letter. We're right in the middle of it. In chapter 3, most of the converts to Christianity that were in these churches were non-Jewish people, Gentiles. However, upon hearing of these Gentile Christians' faith, some Jewish converts to Christianity came in and they started telling this congregation that they needed to adopt the law of Moses as part of their Christian faith. So this would have included all 600-plus commandments that were given in the Old Testament, marking festivals, offering sacrifices, getting circumcised, etc. So even if these Jewish Christian teachers assented to the idea that Jesus was the Savior, they added that, well, in order to truly live as Christ followers, you still have to keep the law. So in this letter, Paul comes down about as hard as he possibly can against this idea, against 
what these folks were teaching. So he says for preaching this different gospel, he calls it in chapter 1, and for troubling these Gentile Christians, Paul recommends that they go to hell in chapter 1. He says twice, I wish that these teachers would be accursed, as in separated from God for eternity for doing what they're doing. And then later, he, in chapter 5, he says, you're recommending that they get circumcised? Well, I tell you, don't stop at circumcision. Just cut it all off. It's intense. It's, it's shocking. And here in chapter 3, he offers some more subtle critiques, but no less impassioned. He introduces the chapter in chapter 3 with, Oh, foolish Galatians. And for the first part of this chapter that we looked at last week, Paul says that faith in Christ, not works of the law, is what inherits the blessing of Abraham, a.k.a. the righteousness from God. So in the bigger picture, we can define faith as putting our weight of trust on what God has said he has done, is doing, and will do for you. And we can define works as putting our weight of trust on what we have done, on what we are doing, and on what we will do. So in the passage today, Paul proves all of these points by citing the law directly. So even though we are not tempted typically to strive to obey all 613 Old Testament commandments, we 21st century Seattleites are just as equally inclined to rely on our own rule keeping in order to feel worthy before God. And we are also just as equally inclined to underestimate the resources that Jesus has purchased, has given us, in order to live a life that glorifies our God. So Paul recommends here in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, that the Galatians, that we choose faith over works. Why? Well, we'll find out because Trusting in works leads not to blessing, but to cursing. And second, trusting in works is a dead end. It does not lead to where we want to go. And third, only faith connects us to the blessing Jesus purchased for us. So let's read uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 together. Paul writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this truth. Thank you that we need not rely on what we can do, what we are doing, what we will do, but we can rely on what you've done, are doing, and will do. Thank you that not only is that true, but you equip and empower us to do what we could not do. May those truths settle into our hearts today as we go forth from this place. In Jesus' name. So, verse 10. Paul recommends we choose faith because works only lead to cursing. He says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, these troublers, these teachers that were coming into the Gentile or the Galatian churches and recommending that these believers adopt the law of Moses, they would have assuredly thought that they were part of those that were enjoying the blessing of Abraham. So it would be, would be surprising for them to hear that Paul does not assign them as included in the participation of the blessing, but actually the exact opposite, that they're actually under a curse. And he goes back to Deuteronomy to prove it. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which was the last of 12 straight curses that the, Le the Levites were to declare to the nation of Israel as they entered the promised land. Most of them are specific, related to specific sins. This is what will happen if you do this. But this verse encapsulates it all. It says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if you continue to read in Deuteronomy, chapter 28, chapter 30, you'll find a lot of curses. And you'll also find a lot of blessings. It's sort of both. There's the potential for both, depending on how faithful Israel was keeping the laws presented in the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. And then you can read, continue to read the history of Israel to discover that they experienced the full gamut of blessing and cursing. You know, they were given the land, they were given victory, they were given abundance, and then in disobedience, they experienced the other side of the coin, loss, exile, plundering. Now, it's possible that Paul's opponents here in, in the churches of Galatia actually were the ones who supplied this verse to motivate law abiding. They may have mentioned it and said, well, look at what the law says. It says, curses are those who do not abide by these things. And so Paul just, it could have been that he just said, exactly. Why? Why continue under the covenant of Moses when there's a previous covenant that was already ratified on faith in Abraham? Instead of the covenant given to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ, they are in a covenant that is in constant threat of curse. 
Now, it isn't that Paul dislikes the law or discounts the law. He just sees it for what it is. A list of rules that reveals sin and offers conditional blessing and had an end date. And it definitely does not help in the doing. He says, sure, you can go that way. You can, you can throw your lot in with them. You can take their fork in the road, but you're not going to be blessed by it. You'll only end up receiving the curse of the law instead of standing on the blessing Jesus has purchased for you, which is only received through faith. Moving into verses 11 and 12, let's say that some of Paul's opponents said, well, I'm not going to experience the curse of the law if, if I keep all of its statutes, if I abide by it. After all, the law itself includes provisions for those who, who misstep. As long as you're not blatantly blaspheming or willfully disobeying, that's what the sacrifices are for. There's, there's a whole system there. I can stay within the blessing of God. But Paul says, no, we should choose faith because works was never supposed to be the thing that leads to blessing. It was never supposed to lead to the righteousness of God. And he goes right back to the Old Testament again. He outlines that biblically, the law was never meant to be the means to righteousness. In Habakkuk chapter 2, which he quotes there in verse 11, it says, the righteous, righteous shall live by faith. He essentially proves from the Old Testament that what Genesis says about Abraham would also be true of everyone else. That righteousness before God comes through faith, not through works. Paul basically says that the very law these folks are pushing bears witness to its own demise, as one commentator says. Trying to keep the law to stay within God's blessing after Christ came was for Paul a complete dead end. And he proves this point again in verse 12 by looking at a verse that also might have been quoted by his opponents. In Leviticus chapter 18, it says, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul says, well, look, okay, look at that verse. The one who does them, that is, does these rules, does these commandments, shall live by them. He says, there's no faith there. There's just a conditional promise if you continue with the doing. There's no faith in that. And faith, according to Habakkuk, is where we get righteousness. A faith, according to Genesis, is where we get righteousness. So it's a dead end. So he says, Galatians, take the other fork in the road. Take the fork in the road that leads towards faith. If relying on one's ability to keep the law is both a curse and a dead end, then where does faith lead? That's where it gets exciting. That's where it gets positive again. In verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, 
so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So Paul says, choose faith because that is what connects us to what Jesus accomplished. We see in these two verses that faith is the only thing that connects us with what we're looking for. And Paul once again grounds us in the Old Testament. He takes a somewhat obscure law about leaving executed criminals out overnight, which said, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the, the law basically says, don't leave them out, bury them. Otherwise, they become a curse to the land and cause problems. And Paul says, that potential criminal, that potential curse to the land of Israel being left out overnight after being executed as a criminal, he applies that to Jesus and says, Jesus became that person. He applies it to what Jesus did for us rule keepers. And then we get one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus' substitution for us. He says, Christ redeemed us from the law, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There are several of these verses in the New Testament that that just put a one-to-one substitution of Jesus in our place. And they are so worth meditating on and memorizing. Two examples of them are in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says that though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, we were sinful, we were poor, we were under a curse. And then Jesus entered into our sin, our poverty, our curse, in order to redeem us out of that place. And Paul tells us that faith, belief in what Jesus has done, belief in what God said he has done, is the only thing that connects us with that reality. There's a straight line from Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness to you, who now, according to Paul in Romans, can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's a straight line there, and it's one of faith, one of trust, one of belief. And in that same chapter of Romans, Paul declares that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. Now, the beauty of faith that is, trusting in what God has done, is doing, will do, is that only God gets the credit at all times. We don't find God. God finds us. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. We don't live a life that glorifies Jesus on our own. God empowers us. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now this promise of the Spirit results in deeper reliance on God, deeper communion with God, and according to Jesus, even greater works than Jesus did himself. Now this reality of the trajectory that we're coming to, which is a spirit-empowered life to glorify God versus a law-empowered life, this was foretold by even more people in the Old Testament that Paul doesn't even mention in the prophets. Jeremiah writes, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And Ezekiel picks it up and says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And the prophet Joel continues, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. And lastly, Isaiah concludes by saying, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So after Christ came, the law was removed as a, as a boundary of who God's people were to be, and it was, it's now written on our hearts by God's very spirit that lives within us. Now God's plan was always to make this way to make a way to be reconciled with us, to make a way to live with us. And by us, I mean us, non-Jewish people. He was always getting things ready for all nations, as he said to Abraham. And he did it. He did it through Jesus Christ and his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his immortal resurrection. And now he sends his spirit to live within all people who call upon the name of Jesus. There's nothing we can possibly do to earn that gift. All we need do is say yes to it. If you don't yet know or haven't experienced this reconciliation with your creator, this rest for your soul, you can do so today. You just need to believe what God has said. Come find me or Justin afterward. We'd love to walk you through that simple prayer of faith. And Jesus doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just purchase our salvation 
hand it to us and then leave us to fend for ourselves. He said before he ascended into heaven that I will not leave you as orphans. And then he proceeded for the next few chapters to promise his spirit. So for Paul, the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit was this experiential proof that what Jesus did worked. Believers, do not underestimate the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is not an afterthought. It is not a a bonus, a cherry on top. It is the only way. He is the only way that you can live a life glorifying to our Savior. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that because of Him, we do not have to carefully craft a righteousness of our own. Sometimes after, you know, months or, or days or years without, you know, doing a certain sin or whatever, and then, and, then I, and then I do that thing, I feel like everything I've been building crumbles. But that's, that's not the right picture. We are not crafting and, and put, putting up this house of cards righteousness. We've been gifted righteousness. It doesn't matter if you sin today or, or don't sin for 180 days. You have the same righteousness because it's all purchased for you because of what Christ has done. So any growth that we experience, we can thank the Holy Spirit for. Any good we do for God or others, we can thank Him for. We can just say, wow, that's incredible that you did that through me. We we don't need to vacillate between pride on the one hand or despair on the other, thinking of all the works that we're trying desperately to do for God in order to stay on His good list. We don't have to perform a list of rules to keep God off our back. We can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need only look to Jesus to guide and empower us by his Spirit to do works for the glory of God. And then we can breathe a sigh of relief because we're not earning anything. Because in Christ, we already have it forever. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we're so prone to, to jump back into striving, to, to trying to earn your favor, to, to drawing boundaries around ourselves against those who, who aren't doing this or aren't doing that. But the truth is, The only, the only boundary marker that matters is being under and in Christ. Lord, help us to breathe, breathe collective sighs of relief at that good news. Lord, that there's nothing we need do to inherit or earn or feel worthy 
All we need do is open up our hands, is look up, is remember, and is depend on what you have done, are doing, will do in us. Thank you for this design, Lord, this mechanism, this, this process, this relationship that is our only hope. Lord, help us not to, to think of the successful life, the good life, as, as if we can keep these ten rules, if we can keep these a hundred self-imposed habits and hobbies and help us to to deem a successful life as one that is entirely desperate for you. And Lord, thank you that you wanted to live and dwell and be near us so bad that you were willing to become a curse, to hang on a tree. can't, we don't know where that love, how that love is possible, but it is. So I pray that, Lord, you just continue to deepen our understanding of your love for us and deepen our trust in what you're doing. Help us to look to you daily, hourly, for help. We give you our lives. Jesus' name.